0: That movie was just like nothing you'd ever seen before. It's such a violent genre to choose, right? The gangster movie. If you replaced bullets for the splurge in Bugsy Malone, it would be more violent than Michael Cimino's Year of the Dragon.
3: Splurge appears to be lethal, and I looked up what actually there is in Splurge, and now it makes sense. It contains whipped cream, very sugary, dog shit sunny delight and anthrax so that's why they that's why it kills you and that's why they're using it that's a joke i wrote that joke
1: <laughs> <laughs> i actually did love the bike with the feet wheels yeah. feet
0: wheels you sure you it's- weren't watching wacky <laughs> races
2: hey everybody welcome to this episode of flicks Watcher podcast today we are joined by joe hello adam Hey, a.k.a. Jimmy Titface is what he's given himself, this moniker today. And Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Bugsy Malone.
1: Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills.
2: Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us.
1: And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter.
2: At FlixWatcherPod. And on Instagram,
1: at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to this episode of FlixWatcher podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Adam and Joe. If you would please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please.
3: Hello, listeners to FlixWatcher. My name's Adam Buxton. I've been on this podcast before and I am currently... A podcasting man Sometimes think of myself as a comedian and writer And in the olden days Well, and still I was one half of award-winning 90s comedy duo Adam and Joe Hello listeners My name's Joe
0: (laughs) Cornish I am the other half of award-winning 90s comedy duo Adam and Joe And uh, I am now a writer-director type man Of films
3: what films have you done, Joe
0: Cornish? What films have I done? Yeah. I did Citizen Kane. Oh, I love that. Well done. And Star Wars. Oh, that's mm-hmm. not so good. Which one? And all of them. And The okay. 400, the 400 Blows. Boring. And Derek Jarman's Blue. Oh,
3: I, that's I like very that good.
0: And I did Over the Hedge.
3: That is the best one of the lot. That is mm-hmm. an underrated peach. Mm-hmm. Well done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. Animation, right? Well, yes, it, we shot that, it live action, but then we to had animation? To,
0: sorry, can I finish, please? We <laughs> shot it live action, and then we had to draw over it because it wasn't right. Joe drew every frame of that by hand. Yeah, it, we, we shot it with live action, Bruce Willis and stuff. But just a lot of the clothes were wrong, and some of the lines were better, so I just drew drew over it with squirrels.
1: <laughs> well, you won an Oscar for that one, didn't you? Yeah.
0: N- yes, I did. A, a lot of Pixar films, That's what's ha- that's what happens they just throw a squirrel in it? Well, they intend to make them live action, but then it
3: goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they just have to draw
2: all over the yeah, frame. Yeah,
3: go. Oh, Shit. God, it's happened again. It's happened again. <laughs> Listen,
0: we can change what they're saying and the clothes. Just
3: draw some, some kind of blue and pink furry <laughs> bubble areas, and then it'll be fine.
2: Yeah. Guys, it's great to for you both to join us on the show. Like Adam said, you've joined us for a couple of episodes before um, for what's... Eating Nina Simone, Nina Simone documentary, and Squid and the Whale way back when. Oh Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh,
3: I was really winging it for Squid and the Whale. I don't think I Did
2: you choose that, Adam? No, no.
3: I had seen it. We were doing two Mm. episodes back to back. I had seen it, but I hadn't seen it for a long time, and I didn't get a chance to watch it just before we spoke. Mm. So, if you listen back, it is the sound of a man badly bullshitting.
0: That is my favorite film. Out of all the films with a small boy rubbing his semen against the spines of library books that's my number that comes in at number one
2: one. Mm. that's a genre isn't it on Netflix I believe there's too many (laughs) but that one does it best so what are you guys up to at the moment I mean um, Adam you've you've got your book out which which was delayed due to lockdown but the audio book seems to be doing well.
3: Audiobook book going gangbusters but no one cares about that in the publishing world as far as most people are concerned my book is a dismal failure because it didn't make any charts in its hardback form but well, um, not as far as i'm concerned no exactly my, i'm very pleased my with number it one bestseller. it was a great success in the audiobook world and i can't wait to actually get behind it and go out and read it to people this year i hope that's going to happen
2: I just had an email today saying that you're going to be in sept- doing something in September. Is that...
3: I hope so. I hope I'm going to resume the tour that was supposed to happen last year around about June or July or something. And then I'll be intermittently visiting the cities of the United Kingdom and having a great, great reading time. And Northern Ireland. Fingers crossed. Why don't the publishing people like audiobooks? Because
2: they cost a lot of money. And...
3: Well, they don't cost a lot of money when Buckles does them. I did them all here in my uh, nutty room. And why don't they like audiobooks? Because they're way behind is the answer, I'm sorry to say. They feel as if it's not a serious medium. But myself and Joe, I dare say, like Mm. to embrace all kinds of media about Mm. 20 years ahead of everyone else. And so it
2: is with audiobooks and me. I think it's important to say that if you haven't, if you read the book, the hardback, but you haven't listened to the audio there is a the special Adam and Joe uh, interview podcast at the end, isn't there?
3: Yeah. Exclusive one hour. I mean, it's crazy. We're te- what I did was I got the rule book, I tore it up, I threw it in the bin and then I wrote a new rule book and tore that one up and threw it in the bin. And then I'm, we, we sort of sketched out a new rule book and, mm. uh, Worked and off Then that. you then you reinvented the bin. <laughs> That's right. And then Damn I made you. a bin out of rule books. And then I popped yeah. the old bin in that bin. Oh. And yeah, it's like it's like Inception.
2: <laughs> what are you up to, Joe?
3: I am currently
0: in what they call soft prep, which is like pre-prep. For a Netflix show I'm doing, for Netflix UK, called Lockwood & Co, based on the books by Jonathan Stroud. And it is a sort of action-adventure, ghosty series. So we're just starting casting, and nice. we're deep in writing the scripts. And it's all a little weird at the moment, as you might know, but we're hoping to shoot in the summer, to start shooting in the summer.
2: Yeah, how's that been for you guys in during lockdown? Have you enjoyed... Uh, this time off or downtime or family time?
3: Downtime Abbey. Uh, I haven't enjoyed it now. I think it's bad <laughs> and I want everything to go back to normal the way it used to mm. be. Uh, like more than a few years ago though, like the way it used to be... Pre-2016? 86. No, I, I'm, th- I'm thinking in the 80s. Like if we could have the <laughs> 80s, but uh, no, you know, no inequality... Less racism, less homophobia, less of the bad things about the eighties. That would be great. You could do that
0: because every, everyone's at home and society feels more controllable on a mass scale than ever before. So you could just issue an edict for fashion and culture just to reset.
3: That would be great. But I'm I'm worried that there are some people that aren't going to follow it. I don't know if Matt Matt Han, Hancock and Hancock.
0: Patrick v- v- Valance, or what what's he called? If then people went the Whitty. on telly, Patrick Witty, Holly Valance yeah. <laughs> went on telly and announced it. Everyone would do it. And if they didn't, you could arrest them, and fine them, and put them in prison. Yeah, good, mm-hmm. good move. It's polit- Let's do that. It's political joke.
2: Well, we are here today to talk about films, and we're talking about Bugsy Malone, which was your combined choice, guys. Um, can you give us, well, explain why you chose Bugsy Malone and give us a synopsis? And you have less than a minute for the synopsis.
0: Oh, good. This is very strict.
2: <laughs> we're getting it together. This is, yeah, now we're going to go slightly tight. T- I'm,
0: sli- I'm slightly turned on.
2: Are you read it first. Flix Watcher turned on Joe Cornish. <laughs>
0: no, I'm not. But, uh, Bugsy Malone is a sort of pastiche of uh, 40s uh, gangster movies. It was made in 1976, directed by Alan Parker. And uh, the key thing to know is that it's, it's, the cast is entirely... Young people aged between probably about 10 and 17, right? And the what's the yeah. story? It's like a classic gangster pastiche. There's two gangs, one led by Dandy Dan, the other one led by Fat Sam, and they're having a gang war and entwined in their gang war is the feckless boxing promoter, happy-go-lucky uh, grifter, uh, suave and handsome, everybody loves that man, Bugsy Malone. Right, Adam? Yeah, exactly. I'm just
3: marvelling at your synopsis skills. That was very good. <laughs> well, that's Female... not really the story female interest, (laughs) that sounds very (laughs) reductive, but uh, is provided by Jodie Foster as Tallulah, a showgirl who sings in Fat Sam's Speakeasy, and she's very glamorous, and she goes out with Fat Sam as well. But the person that Bugsy Malone falls for is a young wannabe starlet called Blousy Brown. Um, Sounds like a loaf of bread, says Bugsy well, my name's Blousey Blousey Brown. And he says, well, that sounds like a stale loaf of bread. And that's the best line in the film, I think. Hey, that's not true. It's
0: full of witty one-liners. That was one of the things that impressed me when I I rewatched it.
3: Okay. So when did you watch this first? I watched Bugsy Malone first. I must have been about 11. So it must have been around about 1980. And we saw it one weekend at school. I was at a boarding school for precocious little uh, people. And on the weekends in the gym to stop everyone crying from loneliness and separation trauma, they would project a film on the walls of the gymnasium. And one weekend it was Bugsy Malone. And it was just the most magical thing I could imagine because it had these children in it. And actually one of the criticisms that people make of the film is that the acting's not all that. <laughs> and I think re-watching it it reminded me that actually, it, maybe that was one of the things that appealed to me about it because it didn't seem—it seemed amateurish. It seemed like they'd filmed a school production. Mm. I mean, they'd filmed it really well with great sets and cool guns and cars and stuff and amazing songs, but there was that amateur theatrical tone to it, which made me feel, as an eleven-year-old, "Wow, I could be in a film, maybe," and it was—it uh,
2: was thrilling. Helen, when was your first time you watched it?
1: So the first time I watched Bugsy Malone was on Sunday when I watched it for this what? podcast. So I've gone my entire adult life and childhood never having seen Bugsy Malone.
2: I fear this I think I feel this is going to lean into the scorings a bit. I, th- uh, I feel
1: we may have some different vibes vibes going, <laughs> going on for this film. Um so yeah. <laughs> I don't know what? how I'd missed it, but um, yeah, this. this Helen, this I can't is... wait.
0: I need to hear your hot take. Can I guess what your hot take is? Go on. You're shocked that anyone would make such a film, and you didn't think the special effects were very good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I actually did love the the bike with the feet wheels. So, was that a special the
0: effect? The,
1: the cars, <laughs> the cars, the yeah.
0: feet, wheels. You sure you it's, weren't watching <laughs> Wacky Races? It's, well, it's the same principle, isn't it,
2: as Wacky Races? Extraordinary
1: film for a debut film. I mean, I'm mm. surprised they let him make more after that. But
2: was that Alan Parker's first film? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and oh, also I've now realised it's the only Alan Parker film I've, I've seen as well. So I'm not really doing very well for Alan Parker, who passed passed away sadly. So he's not going to hear me. Mm. <laughs> um, tell, tell everyone what I think about this film uh, so oh, yeah
3: this is, that doesn't sound good does it <laughs> I don't know if it's his best film but it's certainly it's certainly the most sort of high concept he used to Alan Parker apparently when he went and did showings and festivals of his films he would generally leave Bugsy Malone out because he felt that it just didn't sit very well with his other output it was such an anomaly But then towards the end of his career, he he mellowed out and and, uh, enjoyed it again.
0: I remember hearing an interview with him on Radio 4 around the time of the release of this move. No, it must have been. No, I'm going to contradict because the, uh, the quote I'm going to say from him contradicts that. So it must have been further into his career. But he said he made a point of making a completely different style of film every time. And that's always stuck with me because a lot of modern directors make the same sort of film. You expect the same sort of film from Scorsese or Mm. from, you know, James Gunn or, you know, and often directors have a sort of um, hallmark, don't they? But he made completely different, a completely different type of movie every time, you know,
3: threw himself into totally different genres. I like directors like that and they don't seem to be right. There's not that many of them that I can think of. Maybe there are, but I, I can't. Bring them to mind, but Jonathan Demme was like that as well, who just inhabited completely different genres each time and did so with full commitment.
0: A lot of older school directors, Spielberg's like that a bit. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of directors in the 70s and 80s were, but the more a director's name becomes a brand now, the thing you're selling the film on, the more I think the audience expects a certain type of film. But Alan Parker, incredibly versatile and a really big figure in the British film industry as well. He was a cartoonist. you remember? He had he did these really funny little cartoons about the industry that they used to publish in Screen International every every week. Um, so he was a really funny, brilliant drawer. And you know, with Putnam, he was a big, big, big figure in the British film industry, responsible for revitalising it in the in in the eighties, along with lots of other commercials directors,
2: and storming Hollywood in the eighties. This is all showing panel, wasn't it? I mean, when yes. I, I remember watching it as a kid well yeah and joe when did you watch it first
0: well when it came out uh and it was quite a controversial thing in my house because my mum and dad wouldn't wouldn't let my sister see it we were all about exactly the right age 76 it was right Mm -hmm. so we were eight 68, 68 yeah eight we were eight years old seven eight years old and my sister was quite wayward and impressionable and my parents decided that They'd maybe seen a clip on Barry Norman or something, and they decided that the sort of vampish, coquettish nature of Jodie Foster's character, Tallulah, would be a bad influence on my sister. So me and my brother were allowed to see it, but my sister wasn't, which to this day strikes me as weird. But then, you know, I guess, I don't know. Anyway, that's what happened. So it sticks in the memory because of that. And if you were that age, and movie going was a new thing to you, then you can imagine this, Helen. That movie was just like like nothing you'd ever seen before. Mm. The fact that it was you on screen and all the props were to scale and the entire world was to scale. And, you know, the stools in the diner and the costumes and the props and the guns and the phones. And there was something thrilling about seeing children doing menial jobs as well. Because as a child, you're all supposed to be equal, aren't you? And that's what's so sort of frustrating and chaotic about life. In the eyes of adults, you're all equal. And you're just a ball of potential. And what you'll be in life is a mystery. And you go to the cinema and you see, oh, he's a janitor. Oh, and that guy's a waiter. And oh, he's a butler. And And that guy works in a manhole. And you, and you say, oh, I'd love to work in a manhole. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Then I'd know who I was and, and where I went to work and just the idea that they had homes and, like, where are the adults? Do they... No, nope, there are no adults. It was pretty mind-blowing. And then add to that just the toys in it, the pedal cars yes. and the splurge guns and the stuff. Oh, the you know, this guns. is pre-Star Wars as well. So there wasn't a lot of fantasy cinema aimed directly at young people. There was Disney stuff that tended to be very... You know, nothing like Bugsy Malone. But so it was really, it was a really, really high impact thing. Um, And then also, it's such a violent genre to choose, right? The gangster movie. It's got weapons. And if you replaced bullets for the splurge in Bugsy Malone, it would be more violent than Michael Cimino's Year of the Dragon. There are massacres, like <laughs> gangs walking into speakeasies and just killing everybody. People slammed up against the wall, a guy shot in the head. They kill all the reporters at the killing end. Killing
1: all the children.
0: Yeah. And it actually has splatter in it. You know the term splatter that you use for gore movies, which is about mm-hmm. blood? It has splatter. It's just custard, not blood. So it's, I think it's absolutely brilliant, and it was brilliant when I watched it this afternoon. And the other thing is it's such an amazingly clever combination of genres. It's a musical... It's slapstick, and these are all big, big genres in early cinema. Gangster movies, slapstick movies, musicals, and there was one other one. Uh, yeah, child movies, like The Little Rascals and Chaplin's The Kid and stuff like that. So it takes these these four massive historical movie genres and squishes them together and turns them into something completely new. So you're wrong, Helen, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> you haven't even heard what Helen said yet. She might be... Going gangbusters well, I'm on just it, but trying to um, are... trying to preempt it. I
1: think all films could be improved with a giant pie fight at the end. So
0: yes, sorry, Helen, I don't mean to. Um...
3: But it's fine. Uh, um, yeah, Joe very much brought back memories there of what was exciting about it, all the gear and the gadgets, and it was fun. I saw that Scott Bio talking about the movie said that it was great fun to shoot. And that for at least the first few weeks, they all just had a hoot. All these children running around the set on Pinewood. In between takes, they would find a pedal car and jump in it and cycle around as you would. The splurge guns were pretty fun. Although the splurge guns apparently started out having wax pellets that were fired under high pressure. And they were quite dangerous and painful. So they changed them to ping pong balls. And then they would cut to a a whipped cream impact. But then I was always, that was one thing I do remember being a little confused about as a, as a youngster watching it for the first time, like the rules of logic for splurge uh, as opposed to, as opposed to cream pie, like splurge appears to be lethal. And i looked up what actually there is in splurge. It contains, and now it makes sense. It contains whipped cream, very sugary, um, dog shit, sunny delight, and anthrax. So that's why they—that's why it kills you, and that's why they're using it. Anyway, the other weapon used—that's a joke. I wrote that joke. That's <laughs> as well as sunny
0: delight wasn't around in 1927.
3: I know. I was screwing around with the timeline. Was it oh. the white
0: dog
2: shit as well? Is that what you're thinking there?
3: Yeah, it's
2: 80s white dog shit. Yeah. Yeah,
3: sure. And then they, but they also have, they also have. Custard pies or, or just cream pies. Cream pies non-lethal. So those can be lobbed around with gay abandon and people will survive them. And then by the end, with the big fight and the speakeasy and you give a little love and it all comes back to you, there's no rules.
2: La, 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 Yeah, some people are getting hit, hit by splurge.
3: And, yeah, they're all fine.
2: But there was that one guy who got hit by multiple custard pies uh, by Dandy Dandy his gang. Here's the one that dropped the, the gun. Uh, he doesn't right. get the flower. Where's my flower, boss? Knuckles or noodles, noodles maybe. Noodles. I, I felt, but the I other reason, for
3: him. I should say, the other reason that it holds a special place in my heart and I think in Joe's heart is that Joe suggested we do a production of Bugsy Malone 10 years after it was released at school, when we were at school in the 80s. And we were collaborating for the first time on short films and plays and things like that. And so we put on Bugsy Malone and Joe, I remember Joe suggesting it and thinking, I, I ten, had a tendency to be quite sceptical a lot of the time and just to find like, well, the reasons that we couldn't do things. And so Joe was very good at just saying, no, it'll be fine. We'll do it and we'll fix all those problems. But I couldn't get my head around like, how are you going to do a production of this as, as a school play that isn't totally lame? Because one of the most important aspects. Okay, so you can have splurge guns, we'll we'll figure something out, you know, the pedal cars you can kind of fudge all those things. But the thing that I thought would make the production completely impractical was the music because really for me the backbone of the film, the thing that tips it over into being a success rather than just a curiosity is that music. Uh, The score by Paul Williams and those songs, which are like an album. You know, it's my favorite type of musical songs. I don't like musical songs that are all like stage musicals where there's no discernible tune and people are just kind of sing talking or something. They're actual songs. It sounds like an album by a good band, as far as I'm concerned. And I thought, how are we going to do justice to those? But it was um, an incredible success and we absolutely smashed it
2: when I invited you guys onto uh, Flix Watcher, I gave you the choice of, cause I know you're busy guys and sometimes it's, it's a bit of homework to come on the show. Um, so I, I, I gave you the choice between alien and um, Bugsy Malone because they were two of the films that featured prominently in, in your book, Adam. Uh, and so it was interesting to, I knew the story that you just said that who, I know who you played, but can you tell everyone who you played as? In, I was um,
3: cast because the thing, the backstory is that we had already done a, a play by that time, me and Joe and we put on a play called Private Wars about three three Vietnam vets recuperating in an army hospital. And uh, we had to play these American Vietnam vets as, as little posh 16-year-old boys. But uh, that had gone well. And, and I thought like, oh, I think I'm really quite a talented actor. And I might be like Robert De Niro. So when Joe said we're going to do Bugsy Malone, I was thinking well, I'll probably be Bugsy because I'm the main guy. And Joe said, no, our friend Ben Walden's going to be Bugsy. You're going to be Fat Sam. And I was a little bit self-conscious about my body at that time and have been on and off throughout my life. And I just thought, you are Fat Sam shaming me with this casting and I don't appreciate it. I got into a bit of a sulk about it for a while, but then Joe pointed out to me that actually... It's kind of the funniest part in the in the film, so and the play. Fat Sam's amazing. Did he get a song though? He gets. Well, we screwed around with who gets to sing the songs a little bit, right? So uh, he gets Fat Sam's Grand Slam, Speakeasy, and (laughs) actually, because because we were worried about the standard of singing from our cast. Myself, Joe and our friend Ben would, would sing the songs because we thought we were so great at singing. Actually, Joe is a, a good singer and I'm OK on occasion. And we would stand behind the curtain when the play was happening and we'd kind of sing backup vocals to beef up the performance for the rest of the cast.
0: But weirdly, that ref, that reflects the, the, the movie itself, where as soon as the kids mouths open, adult voices come out, which I didn't remember at all, actually. And watching the strange. film, it doesn't. It's very strange but weirdly it had never struck me before that that was the case it certainly never bothered me and there's i was watching one of those behind the scenes things on youtube and um scott Bayo talks about how weird it is during the uh so you want to be a boxer song like he's he's got these lines in the middle of the song which he says like this and then but then when he sings he's back like this Mm. And it just totally worked for me as a kid It somehow fitted the idiom or the suspension of disbelief It just, um, okay, they're pretending to be adults So when they sing, they sound like adults It sort of made, made sense And plus it's Paul Williams' voice a lot of the time, isn't it? Yes Oh, is it? OK. And he's got a sort... I mean, he's quite a sort of childlike guy anyway, if, you, if you've if you seen him. He's in Baby Driver, right? He plays the arms dealer in Baby Driver. And, and he's on screen in um, a Brian De Palma movie called Phantom of the Paradise. So he does, does a bunch of acting as well as being an incredible composer and singer and musician. And his voice is quite sort of Muppety, isn't it? Quite sort of, um, yeah, childish sounding.
3: Yes, he looks a little bit as if he's just come out of the Dark Crystal... In the nicest part, like a very handsome guy
2: from the dark well, like crystal. hatched out of it. <laughs> no, from the film. Do you think though no, the film the the songs would have stood up if it was if it was the children's voices? No, I don't think it would have resonated for me.
3: I
0: Adam yes. Buxton, I am saying no. Well, if they were really good singers,
3: yeah, then but yeah, because look, let's face it. I think people who are worried about the standard of the acting have mm-hmm. a point, right? And I've already said that it doesn't bother me because it. To me, it feels like it reinforces the kind of inclusivity for a a child viewer. Mm. But those songs are really good. The fact that the songs are so good, that really kind of is an important sheen of goodness that the film really needs. I just think
0: it's, you don't go into Bugsy Malone thinking you're going to
3: get an acting tour de
0: force. You don't go into Star Wars thinking you're going to get an acting tour de force. Like If you get a good emotional moment between a space pirate and a made-up bonkers space rock princess, then you're lucky, aren't you? You're not going into films. There's so many other things you're you're there for i think, yeah, but I, think scott, uh, you... I think scott bio is really good and i think jodie foster's you know it's the same year as taxi driver she basically came from taxi driver flew over and made okay. bugsy malone and she's very very good um the kid that plays um fat shame sam he's pretty good a lot of them are just playing themselves right they're come like Brooklyn on.
3: come on stop it stop
0: that.
1: that standout performance for me apart from jodie foster uh was Babyface, who i later found out, is, is Dexter Fletcher. I was like, this mm-hmm. kid's going to go far, and he did.
0: That's right. Whose character was played by uh, TV documentarian Louis Theroux in our production.
2: Oh, really? That's right,
3: yes.
0: Yeah, Louis played a number of parts. Looney Bagozi and Babyface The
3: two of them. He was supposed to be Dandy Dan, but then he dropped out about three weeks before we mm. were supposed to actually do the production. It was a big deal because... He was leaving it. We had to recast. He had to. Oh, it was. A, we've only barely. Forgiven there were stories about it in Variety at the time. <laughs> it was a big story <laughs> in Variety. School play. I was going to say, I'm sorry, but I don't agree with you about the acting skills of Fat of Sam. Of Fat Sam? Played by. Uh, Listen, that dude face? is genuinely was in was the Mr. mob Cassisi Cassisi? now, so is you're going to get rubbed out. John Cassisi, yeah. Cast by Alan Parker, when he visited a school in Brooklyn and asked, uh, he went into a classroom and said, "Okay, who's the most disruptive pupil in the class? And everyone pointed at this guy at the back, John Cassisi. And he kind of put up his hands with a kind of, "Okay, you got me. Yeah, that's me. And so they so they cast him anyway. I think he's not good as an actor (laughs) and. It's sort of jarringly bad the way that he delivers some of his lines, especially as he has to deliver a lot of lines with, um, you know, he's in a lot of scenes with Jodie Foster, who is effortlessly brilliant. And so it really kind of shows up his limitations.
0: This is like like someone who's played Hamlet slagging off someone else who played Hamlet. That's right. And it's it's the sort of thing that professional actors just don't do. And you're doing
3: it. Yeah, but it's... I feel it's okay to slag off Cassisi because afterwards, (laughs) in his later life, he did a little more acting, but then he became the director of global construction for a company called Citigroup. And he got busted for bribery and he was found guilty in 2012, sentenced to two to six years in prison. Hey, Fat Sam! That must have been a hard time in prison. Or Listen, do you think he got respect for being Fat Sam? Of course, to me, that makes him an even better <laughs> bit of casting.
0: I'll tell you who Louis... Uh, exactly. He was being himself, which was precisely my point. Louis played Roxy Robinson... Uh, okay. if it was Raining Brains people said Roxy Robinson wouldn't even get wet right isn't that the opening the line someone splurged. called Pickett Looney, Boghossi yeah. and
2: Shady <laughs> Right. you've obviously worked Joe with a lot of um, child actors how does how is that compare to adult actors and I and, know and, and, and that gives you a bit more insight compared to what Adam's talking about with maybe what makes a good actor the-
0: yeah I might be a bit more generous towards it because of that um, I don't know I've never had to deal with like every single actor well that's not true like not 200 like I had something like 200 kids like even the background extras are all children um, never had to deal with that but no I think that I think I think it's all about like the tone and spirit really and I think it completely works and I think all the different levels of acting are really good and there there is something weird about like uh, it's just really something pleasurable about the waiter in the background of a scene, it'll be this gangly 14 year old kid with his hair scraped back holding a silver tray. And you'll think, oh, I know a guy at my school that's like that. And yeah, he's just like a waiter. I bet he'll end up being a waiter. You know, there's a whole lot, there's so much else going on <laughs> other than um, the quality of the acting that frankly, anybody who's criticized it would be an, an idiot. I'm get, getting at you, Adam.
2: <laughs> it's all about the songs for me, generally. And, and also, I mean, I saw it yes. as randomly i think it must have been like a rainy rainy day at school and they just thought let's wheel out you know schools used to have the tv on the wheels yeah man and they pulled it out and suddenly there was this bugsy malone i must have been like eight or so um and i was just like what is this and it was the it was the it was the car bikes it was the splurge guns it was the singing the dancing and were, the fact they were adults um with moustaches and stuff and i just thought what this is the best thing ever and i thought this was like you know, when they sometimes used to do public um, announcement TV shows, I thought it was one of those initially they are going to bring out, but it was like the best thing ever. And I've loved it since then through till now. And I'm super surprised. You thought there was going to be like an educational message. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what happens when they bring out the TV on the wheels. The trolley TV is all about educational yes. messages, how to cross the road, you know, don't talk to strangers. And this was, no, no, you, you can shoot people in the face with splurge guns. And I was like, where, where can we get splurge guns from? <laughs> Is it something that can happen? And I'd like to get that as soon as oh, possible. yeah,
3: I wanted a splurge gun.
2: But you're right. It's the it, For me, it comes back to the
3: music and how instantly catchy it was. And when you think about the soundtrack, like in my mind, a good album has three songs you really like. It has to have at least three songs you really like, hopefully more, and the rest of them are maybe okay. But it's like if, if it's got three or four songs that you really love, that's a great album. The Bugsy Malone soundtrack has about five or six really great songs. You know, Fat Sam's Grand Slam, that's great. Bad Guys, amazing. My Name Mm -hmm. is Tallulah, very good. So You Want to Be a Boxer, amazing. Uh, And then Mm. You Give a Little Love is one of the best songs ever and a kind Mm. of, uh, you know, probably a bit of an unfashionable message in 2021, unity and things (laughs) like that. Also, you'd be unwise to... Uh, you know, if you give a little love, the chances are there'll be an algorithm tracking where the love goes and mm-hmm. then you yeah. will slowly become radicalized by it. So you've got to be careful where you put your love. But what an amazing song. And it still brings a lump to my throat
2: whenever I hear it. We had my wife and I played it at our wedding. Um, I can't remember when in the wedding. I think it's during part when the party's kind of fading at the end. But we had a big old sing along with the with yeah. people there. Do you think it would work as a, an anti-gangs strategy? Like, if you
0: got genuine gangs together... Like, just say no for drugs. Yeah, and got them all to sing that song
3: and hug each other. It would probably end all I'd love violence. that, man. You, like, like, some big drill mm. gangs mm. and stuff. And they do... You mm. give a little love and it all comes and back to you. And they shoot each other at You're the You're going to be remembered for the things that you say and do. Yeah. With splurge. <laughs> With splurge,
2: yeah. I, I mean, we haven't... Today we're recording. It's the inauguration and I presume... Well, I presume that Joe Biden's putting that in his manifesto at the top end. Um I'm sure yeah, everyone you give a little love is the first thing they're gonna to do tomorrow.
1: Change the new national anthem
2: to that. Yeah. Change the I'm sure Lady Gaga and Garth Brooks and Elton John
0: are doing a
1: Are they the a singing that.
0: It's everybody, isn't it? Tom Hanks one, is yeah. spinning plates and um Justin Timberlake's doing the washing up.
1: He's good at that.
0: Barbara Streisand's knitting knitting hats <laughs> for everybody. <laughs>
3: Meanwhile, uh, the lady that played Blousy Brown in Bugsy Malone, Flory Duggar, I did some research about her. She, uh, she stopped acting. She became a medical administrator, she served in the Air Force at various bases in the UK, South Korea and the United States, left the military in 2001, recently assaulted the Capitol building, sporting a tattoo of Donald Trump's face on her face. That's not true that bit at the end, is it? <laughs>
2: The last it's bit not is true. not the tattoo. Yeah. Bit's not
0: true for legal reasons.
2: The rest of it's true. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to say before we head to the scores, Helen?
0: But I, I want to know what Helen, because Helen, I thought you said that um, you you thought that uh, you were surprised Alan Parker got to make another film after this, which I took as as, uh, as meaning you really didn't like it.
2: Is that am I right?
1: Well, it, it was actually a flop, wasn't it? In America, it didn't really make much money. Mm-hmm. So for them side-stepping,
2: to sidestepping sidestepping the uh, question there. <laughs>
0: americans don't really know it in fact it's really? unusual for americans to know it it was a big big hit in the uk but yeah not in not in the us
1: it seems from um sort of gathering people's experience of watching it that it was quite a thing to be shown in schools um obviously not my school or any of the lessons that i was in but for somehow it became like a school film and then you know, school productions like yourselves. And that never happened either. So um, all I could say is our school did not do Bugsy Alone or any of my childhood film experiences uh, came to that. So um, I'll expand a bit on the score, but it it was a very, very, very bizarre watch for me.
0: (laughs) I saw a production quite recently of the Lyric Hammersmith and it was brilliant, but A Sign of the Times... Health and safety laws are obviously so strict that they really couldn't do the splurge. Even when they spilt even oh, when they yeah. spilt water, someone came on with a mop and immediately mopped it up, and then someone else with a sort of duster to mop up any residue. And then the big splurge fight at the end was reduced to about three or four shots, which were then immediately cleaned up. Because they didn't want anyone slipping over and hurting themselves, <laughs> it was really odd. So it, it is really yeah. a film of its time, and and
3: that was half. No, well, I
0: mean we. I remember somebody on the last night of our production deliberately when I when my mouth was wide open singing "You Give a Little Love" splurged me right in the mouth <laughs> and nearly suffoc- nearly suffocating <laughs> having so much because we didn't use whipped really cream, did we? It. We used some sort of horrible, probably now illegal synthetic foam thing. And, uh, I had a cop. Yeah. We,
3: so we attached, we attached these spray cans of weird sort of expanding foam to the, uh, to the guns that we made. And we were just going nuts. Like we'd been told by the teachers, cause this is, we did it more or less ourselves. We had some help from some of the groovy teachers, but this was Joe's, um, masterpiece idea to like, let's do this. And I, and I kind of helped out and did acting and bits and pieces But we were really doing it ourselves, and the teachers said, be careful with this splurge stuff. Like, you're doing it in the Great Hall, so don't – you're not allowed to get it on the kind of 500-year-old carvings up in the corner that Queen Elizabeth I did herself. I don't know. Victoria. I'm making up Queen's. And – we just, yeah, we went nuts and we were sliding around. We sprayed everything. There's probably still splurge stains in the, the Great Hall at Westminster. Can I still. say one more? Can I ask one more question? When Tallulah,
0: during her song, My Name is Tallulah, uh, do you remember the where she leans against the wall and sort of stretches her arms up and she sings, no one, something like no one south of Texas is going to treat you finer. Tallulah got her training in North Carolina. No, south of heaven. Right, no one south of heaven no one south of heaven's gonna treat you finer. Tallulah got her training in North Carolina. She sings that twice. What does that mean? What happens in North Carolina? What are they Carolina? training you to do? Helen, what do you what did you take from that?
1: I c I can't remember the lyrics that much.
2: Tallulah had a training in North Carolina. Help I, I was you?
1: I was reading though that um Jodie Foster was really upset with what they did to her hair. She, apparently they told her it was gonna be a light rinse and they Bleached her hair, and she was she was quite upset by it all. But um, she's she's great.
0: That's the only bit that the only bit that is weird for me now, watching it back.
2: The little bit,
0: yeah, that feels like a little bit nineteen seventy
2: six. Mm. Yeah, you wouldn't do that. You'd just you <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have that. You wouldn't do that now, would you? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't do the whole thing now.
0: I, I mean, don't there's, know, there's man. all sorts because of things. I'm I'm surprised because it could have been a franchise. They could have done a big sci-fi movie they could have done like a stalk and slash horror movie they could have had all kinds of different genres with all kid casts could have been a big money spin good idea the one thing i would have done that they didn't do is had everyone smoke it being <laughs> 1976 like they do everything else they do romance guns they do the all the taboos they drink yeah but i would have yeah. liked to have seen those kids smoking
3: and swearing heavily as well, like really
0: absurd. Nothing, nothing
1: to stop remakes of films with or kids now. You could make some classic remakes, some current films or with kids.
0: Yeah, it's a possibility. There's a couple of music videos that riff on it, right? Edgar Wright did a brilliant Blue Tones video, uh, which riffs okay. on Bugsy Malone. And then the Spike Jones uh, Sky's the Limit video for Notorious B.I.G. is very Bugsy Malone, um, equally inappropriate in places. So it has had some cultural influence.
2: Yeah, in the States. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm surprised it wasn't that big. Um, because when, when Scott Bayer was in it, where was he in Happy Days at that point? Hadn't he joined hadn't the joined
3: the cast. Okay. He joined the Happy Days cast in 77. Okay. He's now very right
0: wing, isn't he, Scott Bayer? Yeah.
2: yeah. Is he? So he's, he's probably quite sad today. I was
3: interested to find mm-hmm. out that he and, he and um, Jodie Foster got on very well. And according to him, they had a snog in um, the Holiday Inn in Slough. <laughs> really? <laughs> and actually, funnily enough, me and Joe had full mm, we did, of course. there.
2: I Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a very sexy mm. hotel. Before we go to the scores, guys, um, one of the things I love most about your show, uh, The Adam and Joe Show, which is available on more four as we speak um the toy the toy spoofs
3: i would say can i just jump in and say don't worry about more four. i would direct you to wow presents plus if you type that in you will find the properly uploaded and actually i haven't watched them but i'm hoping that they've <laughs> done a nice job of uploading them from the masters but it's the production company that um we made the show for yep. World of Wonder and they've uploaded all four series to WoW. Go to presents WoW Presents Plus. Plus Guys
2: uh and watch and watch the Adam and Joe show there. But the the, the toy the Toy Spruce you guys did. Uh was one of my favourite parts of your show each week in the past twenty years. Have you thought of films that you think that I could do a great toy version of that one? Yeah, all of them really. Well I watched <laughs> <sorry, it's> Adam.
3: <laughs> yeah. The other day I was watching um TV and uh, Goodwill mm-hmm. Hunting came on, and I thought, "Why didn't we do this? This is just absolutely perfect." And I can't remember why, because the timing was about right. I think I think Goodwin, Goodwill Hunting came out mid '90s or something, just before we started doing the Adam and Joe show. But I really, I, I had to resist the temptation to just do it myself and it's cuz it is ridiculous what you want i think the what you want is a film with big stupid kind of oscar winning beats you know what i mean and ridiculous concertina dramatic scenes so in goodwill hunting it's oh he's so screwed up and he's got a big uh, mental breakdown narrative and he can't relate to other people and then robin williams just sorts it out in 5 minutes by shouting at him i would have done toy story but with people
0: (laughs) flip the script you know people story (laughs) Mm -hmm. people story i love it kobe that's a good idea listen once this is over let's stay on this link and uh right we'll talk
2: we'll talk i've already got an outline in my head good good
0: good good good, good. 50 50 yeah
2: yeah nice and with that let's head to the scores
0: I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com.
1: Welcome to the FlixWatcher scores. All of our scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish, and uh, we'll start with you, please, Adam, with your recommendability score.
3: This is tough because I have recommended the film in the past, but I don't recall anyone actually coming back and saying they loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried. I, watched, I tried watching it with my children. It was the. It was one of the two films that I was most excited about watching with my children when they were old enough the other one being Star Wars, and they just didn't get it. Oh, no. So I don't know. Out of five, I'm going to go for three. Oh, Joe. Five. Five across the
0: board. Five, 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 five. I think it's well, great. Let's get, let's get to them. Oh, sorry,
2: mate. <laughs> Helen, recommendability, Helen.
1: Um, So uh, I'm going to go for a three. I feel I missed the boat with this one. And I think what I was most disappointed about was missold sold the amount of jodie foster because she's not actually in it and she doesn't make an appearance until about 30 odd minutes in and that that for me was a bit a bit disappointing i mean this film is weird um to come watching it as an adult now it, it was a very 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 strange experience um but i am glad i've watched it so thank you for making me watch uh, booksy Malone.
2: Uh, I'm going to go for 4.75 here. I think
1: Mm-mm.
2: it's a hard sell for some for older people. If, I think if maybe if you're above 20, above 15, even uh, they probably just think you're weird. Adam, how old were your kids when you showed it to them?
3: Um, I mean, I think they were the right sort of age, you okay. know, 12 or 13 or something like that. Um, but they're quite thick, so it probably went over their heads. <laughs> Repeat viewing score, Adam. Repeat viewing. Well, I mean, for the first 20 years or so after I saw it, I repeat viewed it quite a few times and really enjoyed it. Um, Haven't really rewatched it that many times in the last 20 years. But, I mean,
2: 4.5. Joe, five. five again? Yeah, five. <laughs> uh, Helen.
1: So if I think if I watched it again, I would need to borrow some children. And I was thinking that maybe um, borrowing, as I've done some notes, some children between the ages of eight and 11. But if you said your kids were around that age and didn't enjoy it, maybe I need to.
3: Your kids will be nice and sparky and open minded. I just think it's it made me dislike my children actually when they didn't like it i just thought what the hell what am i supposed to do for you this is like it doesn't get any better than this you stupid morons now get out (laughs) i hope they listened. to this did they cry yeah they were crying it was it was i mean it ruined the whole day (laughs) they were like
1: what's wrong with you daddy why are you shouting shut up get out are kids harder to please with films now, do you think? Do you think that's what it is? Or
3: Yeah, that was the same night, I think, that my son suggested we watched um, Return of the Sith, Revenge of the Sith. He was like, oh, that's the best Star Wars movie. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You're a moron.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Repeat bring score, Helen.
1: Um, unlikely, but if I can borrow some children, then uh, then yeah, I would. I, I think I'd need to watch it either with company or with some children, so I'm going to go for two.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go for five here. This is, I'm looking forward to uh, my son Milo watching it. He's currently nine months old. So, uh, how young are you, you going
1: to start him? Probably about
2: four years, in about four years' time. And I think that's because I, The Princess Bride, I thought kind of, I wish I'd watched it as a kid um, and look forward to showing it to Milo. And I look forward to showing uh, The Kid Who Would Be King to Milo, actually. Although that's got some scary bits, Joe. What, how what kind how of, old is he? What kind of feedback have you had from parents? Well, nine months. Um, <laughs> He's too sophisticated. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> He's past
0: it. No, that that film usually works really well between sort of if you're if you're quite a tough seven or eight year old, it's fine, and then up to you know up, up above above that. If you're a oh yeah, if you're a easily scared seven or eight year old, then it's a bit much for you. Yeah. One kid ran like screaming like from the cinema during benchmark. a test screening in America, Oof. but only one. Whoa.
2: A snowflake. <laughs> Must have been a snowflake. Small screen score, Adam.
3: Small screen score. Oh, it works fine on the tiniest screen. You could watch it on a on a postage stamp, and it would still be terrific because you got that music coming into your ears. So small screen, big speakers. Yeah, five. Joe. Five. <laughs> what? Yeah, five. Definitely
0: five. Bugsy Malone, for God's sake, Helen.
1: So, I had to watch this on a laptop with headphones, and I didn't really enjoy that. It was a bit too much no in my ears <laughs> um What I did see was that secret cinema did it way, way way back and uh i I think maybe I would enjoy some kind of immersive screening Experience. with with pies i think the the thing that really stuck with me was fighting with pies and yeah. um so I think for that, it is fine on a big screen, on a small screen, um, home viewing. But I think for me, I would probably have enjoyed it more had it been with company or perhaps in some kind of pie-related interactive thing. So uh, I'm going to do a four.
2: I'm going to go 4.9 here because I would like to see it in when the Prince Charles reopens and they mm. do the sing-along screenings, I'd like to go and see it then with other mm-hmm. people. But otherwise, Good it idea. would work.
1: Do those
2: have pies? I'm sure. Well, if you go and see, if you go and watch the room, there people throw spoons. There's pie shops nearby.
0: Yep. There's a patisserie Valerie on the corner. At least they used to be before the end times.
3: (laughs) Uh, Engagement score, Adam. Engagement score. I'm going to go. I'm I'm gradually nudging up. I'm going to say five. I was engaged. It's it's a good length. Hmm. It's not over ninety minutes. And that, to me, is half the battle won already.
2: You should. Are you aware of a? Well, I know Joe's been on this um, podcast, the ninety minutes or less film fest. It sounds like a perfect, perfect podcast for you to join. Yeah, hmm. anything over
3: ninety minutes is a grotesque waste of everybody's time. Do you want my score? Uh, I'm ready when you are. Yes,
2: please. Is it five?
0: It's five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you later if you want, but I am ready now. Five. Helen yeah. thought about it.
1: Yeah, I I was massively engaged, um, and I, I did do a fair I I really enjoyed reading all of the trivia and all of the strange weird things that the kids got up to um while they were, they were filming it. In fact, I think I would probably have enjoyed watching kind of a making of what's in the actual film. Um a three, sorry.
2: Yeah, and I'm getting up for five. And that gives us an overall score of four point three two one eight eight. Decent. Very That's good. pretty high. Yes, absolutely. Even
1: with my low scores.
2: What do you do with these very scientific scores? We have a scoreboard. So if you go to flitswatchertv forward slash scoreboard, really? we have a list which you can sort by score. What's at number one?
3: Ricky Gervais's um film <laughs> debut. <laughs> what was that? Number the one, one about ghost the ghost world was it? Ghost, ghost Town. Ghost Ricky. <laughs> non PC <non-PC> Ghost. <laughs>
2: yeah. Number one is currently when Harry met Sally and oh, God. Um, <laughs> Harrison Ford one. What? The uh, Fugitive. Narrative. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. They're doing number one at the moment. So you're just. Yeah. Mm.
1: <laughs> it's it's how the scores work. You can filter. Yeah. You can actually go so on the website and filter by. Uh, it's, it's very fancy. That
0: sounds good. You can filter out the sort of. Yeah. That's good. That sounds good. I'm glad you can filter it out because uh, when Harry Met is not the best film. Is it? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, it's good. Don't get me wrong. And really popular. But I really don't think it's the best of them all.
1: We are a little bit restricted in that they're on Netflix P- Personally,
0: ones. I don't think it's in the running. Oh, OK. The, the best one. I don't think it's the best one that's on Netflix. Rocks is really good. Have you watched it Rocks is, is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, someone, someone
3: wants yeah. to come yeah. Have you on seen that, Adam? Pick, pick rocks. No, I, that's on my list. I want to see that one. Yeah, Yeah. that's. I just saw. What have I seen recently that's good? Gunda. Have you seen that about the about the pig on the farm? It's supposed to be great. Yeah, it's just under ninety minutes, and it there's no voiceover or anything. It's like a nature documentary art film, and it's beautiful and moving and says a lot about life about love, about pigs, about horses, about the techniques that horses use to keep the flies away from their noses. Basically, they're 69. And they (laughs) – oh, no, it's it's the cows that do it. So they stand uh, end-to-end, and they swish the flies out of the other cows' nose. Yeah, it's quite good. And the other thing I saw, another documentary, Carmine Street Guitars – so beautiful, relaxing for a certain for a man of a certain age. It was just ah, oh, it's glorious. About it's a, a bespoke guitar shop in New York, and they make these beautiful guitars, artisan guitars, and music. People come in and play on the guitars and tell stories and sing. Does songs anyone and fake oh, an orgasm? So
0: Does someone else say, "I'll have what she's had"?
2: Yes, I did <laughs> while I <laughs> did was you? watching it. Good. We're just going to head to Twitter before we leave, guys, and do follow us. Anyone who's listening, we are at FlixWatcher Pod on Twitter. And the main reason to follow us is because we give, put a little shout out before we record, and in this case, uh, put the little tweet saying we're reviewing Bugsy Malone with Adam and Joe. Have you seen it? Give us your thoughts and your score out of five stars for an on-air shout out on FlixWatcher. Uh, and also, this is probably the first episode since we joined Letterboxed, which we are at FlixWatcher. Are you guys on Letterboxd at all, Adam, and Joe? Do you track your films you watch and I look at it.
0: I'm not, I'm not registered to it, but I look at it. It's really comprehensive, isn't it? Pretty much every film ever it made, you'll, you'll find some opinions on.
3: It's can be, it was a really useful resource. I don't really do any social media anymore. Very seldom look at it.
1: I joined because I can't remember what I watched last week, let alone in the year, and it was quite useful to start logging.
3: And it's start good
0: if you, you like a particular film. They're quite intelligent people on it. Who write quite mm. articulately? Well, comparatively speaking, compared to stuff, compared to IMDb, IMDb for yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, and uh, and then you you people group movies. So, like, if you want to look at really good, like, teen rebellion films or something, you can find amazing lists, um, really comprehensive lists.
2: One of our friends has got a list on there, which is uh, films in which in a helicopter explodes. Mm. Um, All of them. <laughs> that happens in all films, All the best doesn't
0: ones.
1: It? <laughs> Either it happens. It happens on when Harry met Sally after implied... the orgasm scene, wasn't it? Yeah, hunting, there's that a happens behind helicopter. the
0: building, and when Harry met Sally,
2: <laughs> you can just dimly hear it. while going head whilst she's faking an <laughs> orgasm. Have you guys got Twitter up by any chance? Yes, we've got quite a few responses, and if you just read out a few of your favourite ones, um, and Helen as well, and I don't know if Joe, you've got some. I do. Fantastic Um, Do you want to pick one Adam Gwen Weir Says I remember seeing it With my man
3: And my younger brother She has a man She's just got a man That she Has And When we came out Of the cinema My brother said Well that was a waste Of cream cakes No score (laughs) Her brother's a smart ass Yeah (laughs) He does have a very smart ass He's got a
0: little Shirt and tie On the back of his trousers (laughs) Chris Olden uh, says, I watched it relentlessly as a kid. It was a world I wanted to live in. The cars, the splat guns, baby face, green stuff, bracket, not cabbages. What is that a reference to? The songs are still amazing. Five. Chris Olden's a man after my own heart. What's he referring to when he says green stuff, brackets, not
3: cabbages? Was he smoking weed while he watched it? The sarsaparilla. Cabbages. That just makes me think of Cracker Jack when they played that game where you had to hold Balance as many items cabbages. as you could. Yeah, but he says and not then they would... cabbages. Yeah, well, I'm just telling you what's in my head. <laughs> Never do that. Sorry. It's dangerous. Alan?
1: Uh, I'll go for the one from Retro Ramble Podcast. Very fond memories watching it growing up. Such a unique, crazy concept when you think about it. Great songs, especially you give a little love for the finale. And he's yes. done four jazz hands for that one.
3: Adam? Gareth Dimolo says, I love Bugsy Malone despite Scott Bio turning into a Trump supporting nut job. Mm. Jodie Foster is spectacular and the songs still splurge. Bad guys forever. Yes, Gareth. <laughs> I agree with you in part. How
0: does he spell forever? Does he use the number four and EVA? He, he uses
3: the formal yeah. spelling. Good. And he yeah. gives it four stars. Good.
0: Good. Uh, Joe. Well, I'm going to read this tweet by Overthrowing Education Podcast. Uh, it says, I watched it many times as a kid. Brackets. I was their age when it came out. Close brackets. As an adult, I understood the genius of director Alan Parker even more. I showed it to my class as a fun precursor to The Great Gatsby to discuss the 20s. Yes. <laughs> using Bugsy and Malone not only as an amazing... Bizarre, fun confection, but as an educational tool to discuss the 20s.
2: Mm. See? TV Trolley. What a movie. TV Trolley is an educational... five, five, five. five. Those are the correct scores. Helen.
1: Uh, I'll go, this one is from Alex Flowers. Watch this in primary school and it established my hatred of musicals for life. And then with the emojis, he's gone, was one jazz hand and a middle finger out of five.
3: Oh mate, come over, Isn't it? come over here. Come over here. I'm going to give you a hug. All right. I'm going to
0: splurge
2: him full in the face at point blank pie range.
3: Hug, hug,
2: Huggy hug. I was hug. going to read out one that's been uh, quote tweeted, which means it goes into a different part of the Twitter sphere. Uh, this is from Jen Offord, at Aspira Jen. This is actually my favourite film. Brackets, *Kindergarten Cop* is a close second, obviously. Ooh. A massive five stars for the early detective work of PC Dave Quinlan, the Bill. Um. Yeah. Massive five stars with PC Dave Quinnan alone. I remember him. He had quite a big chin.
3: Mm. I could sing you the theme, but I don't know who PC Dave Quinnan is. (laughs) (laughs) That's the bill, right?
0: (laughs) PC Big Nose.
3: Here is. Can I go off topic or off um, message or off site? and read you a review from someone on IMDb. This is a bit of a negative one. This is from Snaunton. Snow- and you might agree with this, Helen. The detail of the plot lacks the originality of the concept. Mm. The film is too dull, and too many voices are squeaky and speak too fast with the unmodulated expression of pubescence. A worthy, <laughs> a worthy try, essential to watch. But in the end, a bit disappointing. So that's
1: <laughs> that's that mixed, sure. isn't
3: it? He's, he's saying it's essential, but it's disappointing. Oh.
1: <laughs> well, my, my favourite letterbox review for this, because I, I enjoy reading uh, user reviews, was what the fuck and also why the fuck. Hmm.
2: You're, you're picking the negative ones here, guys. And... <laughs> Trying to be balanced. <laughs> Trying to it give is. the haters a hug. Yeah. and uh, you know counterbalance the straight fives from joe we're gonna give them a little love because it all comes back to you and that's how we finish can you give us uh let the guys know where they can, where they can find your podcasts and your films guys and we'll say goodbye to everyone listening i'm going to tell you that you can find joe's films
3: anywhere that does films just type in joe and films and there they are there you go and I'm going to tell you, you can find Adam's podcasts
0: on all good podcast platforms, including PodBot and <laughs> Castaway and EarFun and Yuck House. All of them. Yuckhouse. That's Yuck just house. made up. Yuck house. Mumble Madge. <laughs> Mumble Madge. Is that Mumble Madonna's Madge. new podcast platform? <laughs> Her and uh, what's the woman that makes all the Mumblecore films? Who's in Girls? What's she called? Lena Dunham. Da- Lena, oh, no, Lena, uh,
3: Lena Dunham and
0: Greta Gerwig and Madonna have and set Madonna. up a podcast platform called Mumble Match.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? I said Mumble Mansion.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I misheard. But they all live in Mumble Mansion. Guys, thank you so much for joining. It's been it's been great and I've I'm certainly have enjoyed rewatching uh, Bugsy Malone for the umpteenth time, and I'll continue, we'll, I continue will and will continue to watch it again. So. Cheers! Thank you so much.
3: Thank
1: you.
2: Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Kobe. Good to see you all. Cheers, Joe. See
3: you guys.
1: Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher podcast? Why not leave us a five star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at pod on Twitter, and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram.